0: Welcome to It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, Episode 21. Welcome to this episode of It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast. My name is Ken Zerman Jr., and this is the podcast dedicated to the history of professional wrestling between 1870 and 1920, although we sometimes stretch into the 1930s. And in this episode, we'll be talking about the short but very impactful career of the original terrible Turk, Yusuf Ismail, in 1898. But before that, the biggest news in professional wrestling probably in a long time, is the sale of WWE to Endeavor, which is also the company that owns UFC. And now they're going to merge UFC and WWE into one company that will be publicly traded. And WWE and UFC go together like peanut butter and gin. Um, When you have a sport... That is one of the hottest sports in the world right now. And it is that way because the UFC has went out of its way to make sure that no one ever doubts the outcome of their bouts. That they are contests between two athletes. Merging them with a worked uh, athletic exhibition. Like WWE is a, it's not a great merger, and it's not one that I would have made as a business. Because you don't want there to be any doubt creeping into the minds of MMA fans that anything that they're seeing is not 100% legitimate. And while I'm sure that Ari Emanuel and Vince McMahon are salivating over the possibility of some crossovers, I think that would be the absolute worst thing. For the UFC, which is, at, which is valued at more than WWE, which I think is fair, MMA is something that's growing. Professional wrestling is something that's watched by fewer and fewer people all the time. So there's nothing we can do about it, but it is not the ideal situation if you're a UFC fan. The topic for today's show actually came about as a result of an email I received from a listener named Shannon. I don't know that I'm at liberty to use his full name, but Shannon had written and asked if I had done research on the Great Gamma, which I've done very little, or the original Terrible Turk, Yusuf Ismail, which I have done quite a bit. And I've never written a book on Yusuf Ismail, and the reason is because his career in the U.S. only lasted about four to—well, it, it was six months; it's about four to five months. He comes to the United States in early 1898, and Yusuf Ismail is already 40 years old when he comes to the U.S. He might have been actually 41 or 42, but he was in his early 40s. But he is a huge wrestler so officially the statistics I think listed him at six foot two and 265 pounds but looking at the pictures he could easily have been over 300 and I think some of the newspapers listed him at 300 to 320 pounds so he was a huge wrestler who had wrestled extensively in his native Uh, Bulgaria which wasn't Bulgaria at the time But he lived in the Ottoman Empire In the area which is Bulgaria And he wrestled throughout the Ottoman Empire And Europe And compiled an outstanding record And he came to the United States With the intention of making enough money To open up a coffee shop Back in his native country Because he wanted to Retire uh, While he was still mobile and had all the use of his faculties and everything. And as I said, he was already into his early 40s. So he comes to the United States and he secures his first match in March in New York City against Ernst Rober. And Ernst Rober was a good wrestler. He was not a great wrestler. And his claim to fame was he was the protege of William Muldoon. And he was William Muldoon's handpicked successor to take the world heavyweight championship when Muldoon retired in 1889 however the fans did not accept Ernst rober as the world champion so he was recognized as the american heavyweight greco-roman wrestling champion and evan the strangler lewis or evan strangler lewis held the american heavyweight wrestling championship in the catch as catch can style and the title would be basically divided for about four years until Lewis uh, mer- or combined the titles, merged the titles, when he defeated Rober in a match in 1893. United the titles. That's the word I was searching for. And Lewis is going to play a big role in this story of Yusuf Ismail, as you'll see. As I said, I've not written a story because his career is so short. But he is uh, written about in both Evan the Strangler Lewis, The Most Feared Wrestler of the 19th Century, and in uh, my most recent book, Shooting or Working, The History of the American Heavyweight Wrestling Championship. Although many sources online will say that Ismail was uh, the American Heavyweight Wrestling Champion, he was not. He did not defeat the American Heavyweight Wrestling Champion when he was here In 1898, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but let's talk about the first match with Ernst Rober. So they're matched, and I believe the match was actually uh, catch as catch can because uh, Ismail was a catch wrestler, but it could have been Greco Roman. Regardless, like many of the matches that took place during this time in the late 19th century. A lot of times these matches did not occur in rings. They occurred up on elevated stages on mats. So they put mats up on a stage where all the fans could see what was going on. And this was the same way. This was on a elevated about 8 foot stage that was normally used for concert performances because it was right in front of the orchestra pit where they had this mat laid out. And Rober and Ismail are circling around, and Rober's being very careful about tying up with him because Ismail is so huge. And he was considered the strongest wrestler of his day, and that wouldn't shock me at all, I think, without question. Um, particularly since Muldoon had retired in 1889, there's no question that Ismail would have been the strongest wrestler in 1898 in the United States. Ismail, for whatever reason, gets angry at Robert's Tactics and charges him and knocks him right off of the mat and the stage. Knocked him several feet, you know, some people said yards, probably wasn't yards, but it was several feet off the stage. And the way Rober went off, he was kind of going off head first and he was able not to smack his head, but he did land up on his shoulder and back. And some say it dislocated his shoulder. Some accounts say that it just did some soft tissue damage. I am in the soft tissue damage camp because they had a rematch a couple weeks later that Rober was able to take part in, although that match is not going to go very long, as you'll hear. But Ismail knocks him off the stage. The ringside physician says that there's no way Rober can continue. And at this point, because of such an obvious foul, the fans are starting to riot, and the New York police have to get Ismail out of the uh, concert venue... That they're at. Before he is killed by the fans. Despite all of this happening. This controversial finish. They do a rematch of this same match in New York. In the same venue. In the first week of April. April 5th. This time they're, they're barely engaged with each other. And their managers jump into the ring. And start having a punch up. And their managers also re- are also manage boxers, so they manage wrestlers and boxers. And Roberts' manager was also the manager for Bob Fitzsimmons, who was the former world heavyweight boxing champion. He took exception to the handling that his manager got, and he jumped in the ring to take part in the melee for, on his manager's side. And the fans start to ride again. <laughs> So the New York police get everybody out of the building. The match is a no contest again. Um, Actually, Ismail was disqualified in the first match. It was a no contest in the second match. And the venue bars wrestling from that venue for the next, I don't know, decade, two decades. New York would have a lot of times where wrestling would be banned because of some high-profile incident that led to riots. So Ismail has been in the United States for all of a month. He's wrestled Ernst Rober twice. He's been disqualified one time. And he has been involved in another brawl that has led to a no contest. However, these incidents just generate more fan interest. More fans want to come out and see the terrible Turk. This wrestler that just doesn't care and is willing to do whatever to his opponents. So then he is, his manager secures a match with Tom Jenkins. And Tom Jenkins, at the time, is the top contender for the American Heavyweight Wrestling Championship. He will not be the champion for another year or so because Dan McLeod, who's the current American Heavyweight Wrestling Champion, is not. Interested in wrestling Jenkins because he fears that when he wrestles Jenkins, he will no longer be the American heavyweight wrestling champion. Jenkins is a little bit bigger than most of the other wrestlers at that time and a little stronger. But he's still only six foot one and he weighs 200 pounds. So he's not, height-wise, he's close, but size-wise, he's not close to Ismael. And that would be borne out in their match. Because Jenkins, who is the only person who has multiple wins over Frank Gotch in his career, he has wins over Martin Farmer-Burns, Dan McLeod, and almost all of the top wrestlers in that era would not pose any threat to Yusuf Ismail, who would pin him in two straight falls in just a few minutes. And it was, a, it was a pretty humbling feat, defeat for Jenkins, and it just showed what a physical handful Ismail was. Because on a skill level, they probably weren't that far apart. But when it came to the size, there was just no way that Jenkins could handle someone that big. Yusuf Ismail's manager is now negotiating with two wrestlers. One is Dan McLeod, the current American heavyweight wrestling champion. And the other is Evan Strangler Lewis, the former champion who lost his title to Martin Farmer Burns in 1895. So at this point in time, Evan Strangler Lewis has not been the champion for three years, but he still has a fearsome reputation because of his skills as a submission wrestler and wrestling terms as a hooker. McLeod is the preferred wrestler. Actually, they want to wrestle them both. But they would like to wrestle McLeod because they would like to have a claim on the American Heavyweight Wrestling Championship. McLeod defeated Martin Farmer Burns in 1897. But they cannot... The negotiations fail. For whatever reason, McLeod's camp, Ismail's camp, cannot come to terms... On a match, so while the negotiations going on, uh, Ismail wrestles a wrestler named Hercules, which I think is a version of Hercules, and also beats him in two straight falls. Evan Strangler Lewis is near the end of his career. He's 38 years old, and he has not been the top contender for the American Heavyweight Championship in the last three years. Despite all of that, Lewis decides to wrestle Ismail in Chicago, which has always been a huge drawing town for Lewis. While in the days that 2 or 3000 fans is a huge crowd, Lewis could routinely draw 6 to 7000 fans in Chicago. In the 19th century crowds could still number in the hundreds fairly regularly. So crowds of a thousand or more is great, and a 3,000 person crowd is a really great crowd. Lewis in Chicago would draw double that. Well, he did even much better than that. For this match, for this match they drew 10,000 fans. And just like everywhere else, Uh, I'm sorry, just like every other match, not everywhere else, but every other match Lewis had in Chicago since he almost killed Serikichi Matsuda in 1886 with his stranglehold, which was not the sleeper hold that you uh, think about. There's a lot of online sources that say he used a sleeper hold, which is uh, Mataleon, the lion uh, killer, and BJJ. rear naked choke or the hadaka jimi and judo. In professional wrestling, when they use the work hold today, they call it a sleeper hold. It is not that. It is the guillotine choke or the front face lock. That was the choke that Evan Strangler Lewis used. Ever since he used that choke on Matsuda in 1886 and almost killed him, That hold was banned in Chicago. The Chicago Mayors, they started in 1886, and they would continue it on throughout his career. It was one of the things that really frustrated Lewis was the Mayors would say, the only way this match goes on is if that stranglehold is banned. So, just like all the previous matches, the stranglehold is banned. The men meet in Chicago for the match. The first fall begins. And it isn't Lewis. It's Yusuf Ismail secures the stranglehold or the guillotine choke and is immediately disqualified for the referee by the referee whose name was Hogan. And the fans are going to start to riot now because they're furious because In their mind, the stranglehold is banned because of Lewis, not Ismail, So it's fair game for Ismail. Lewis is the one that can't use it because he almost killed somebody with it. But that's not the case. The stranglehold is barred for everyone. So Lewis's management comes up and says, no, 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 no. Let's let the match continue. And Hogan refuses. He says, this hold is barred. This match uh, cannot continue like that. So the match is over. He's disqualified. The fans begin to riot. The Chicago police get in the ring, take the referee Hogan out of the ring to the back, and Ismail and Lewis's management team remain in the ring with the wrestlers. And they agree that they will... Now have an exhibition match since the referee is disqualified. The first match, Lewis will get the winner's purse, which was two thousand two hundred and something dollars. Ismail will get the, the loser's purse, which I think was fifteen hundred or seven. It, it it was not anything to sneeze at either back in those days. So with Lewis getting the winner's purse, Ismail getting I'm sorry, Lewis getting the winner's purse, Ismail getting the loser's purse. They both agree that they're satisfied with that amount of money. The camps agree that we're going to have an exhibition match and they agree on a new referee. So now we are in match 2. Match 1 is done. We're on to match 2 now. They're 2 to 3 minutes into the match. And Ismail grabs that front face lock choke again, and Lewis is forced to submit. The problem is, Ismail does not let go of the choke and refuses to release it, just like Lewis had done to Matsuda back in 1886. So the new referee disqualifies Ismail once more. So now Lewis has won the first fall in a two out of three fall match. The accounts don't really go into what happened after that first fall, but after the first fall, Ismail becomes more disciplined and stops doing the needless fouls. He again secures the stranglehold on Evan Lewis, secures his pet hold. At about the six minute mark of the second fall, Lewis is forced to tap. Now they're tied the match is tied at one fall apiece. And Ismail has put Evan Strangler-Lewis in his pet hold three times this night. So the match, the second match starts for the third fall, which will decide this match. And Lewis comes out and desperately tries to grab his own stranglehold, but Ismail is just way too big. Evan Lewis, at his biggest, was around between... 190 and 210 pounds, but he only stood five foot nine and in shape, he was about 180 pounds. So the size differential between the two of them is at least 100 pounds and probably more. Despite the desperate attempts to get his own stranglehold, Ismail grabs the stranglehold again and forces Lewis to tap out at about nine minutes. So... He has won two out of three falls, but he's actually put on and made Lewis uh, submit three times. And the only reason he didn't submit the first time was the referee immediately disqualified him for using an illegal hold. And the only reason the hold was legal in the second match, because the second match is now an exhibition. It's not considered the contest that they had signed up for. And if you're confused, I don't blame you. Just realize... That Ismail beat Lewis three straight times with his pet hold. After this match, Lewis will wrestle one more match, and then he will retire. And when he retired in 1899 at 39 years of age, a lot of people thought he would come back at some point because his own manager didn't want him to retire, and his management team and other promoters offered him lots of money to come back over that next five, six-year period to wrestle Gotch, to wrestle other up-and-comers, to wrestle Rober again, and Lewis turned them all down. He went back to his farm in Dodgeville, Wisconsin, and that's where he would remain for the remainder of his life. Ismail, after the match with Lewis, was pretty flush with Cash now from all of the matches that he had had with Rober, with... uh, Jenkins, and now with Lewis. Lewis was a very lucrative match. I'm sure that besides the purse, they made a lot of money off of gambling on those matches as well. Ismail, in the first week of July, decides to return to the Ottoman Empire. And, unfortunately, the ship he booked passage on was the SS Burgoyne. And the SS Burgoyne is famous to this day as the ship that sank off the east coast of Canada and the United States. And only 13% of the passengers survived and 48% of the crew survived. Most of the passengers died. Almost half of the crew survived. And there were reports from some of the few survivors that were passengers That the crew, uh, the sailors who had taken the lifeboats, would stab or hit people over the head in the water with oars to keep them from climbing into the lifeboats with them. And this was a huge scandal. The United States and Canada demanded answers, but the French government did not see things the same way, and they did their best to cover up any of the the misdeeds that occurred from the crew. But the terrible Turk was one of the many people who drowned. His case was considered... The winnings that he brought with him to take back home supposedly played a contributing factor into his death. Because he supposedly converted the, uh, the money that he made into coins and wore them in a purse around his waist. And when the ship went down, that coin purse kept him from being able to swim and it's what caused his drowning. That's never been proven, but that's always been the legend around Ismail's drowning. Like I said, it was a a career in the United States that spanned all of four or five months. But he wrestled some of the top stars in the United States. I would argue at that time, he defeated the best wrestler in the United States because the best wrestler in the United States was not actually Dan McLeod. It was Tom Jenkins. And he was able to beat Tom Jenkins in two straight falls. Yusuf Ismail is the original Terrible Turk that came to the United States, but that nickname would be used for many, many people uh, probably up into the 40s and 50s maybe. Um, It's not a nickname that anybody would use today, thankfully, but back then um, ethnic nicknames and ethnic identities were very common in professional wrestling. And a lot of people copycatted his name because he was so successful in the ring, in contests. All these matches were contests. He didn't work any of them. So that is the short but extremely impactful career of Yusuf Ismail. Next episode, which will come out the second week in May, I am going to talk about sumo wrestling matches. Well, they weren't matches. How do I want to say this? I will talk about sumo wrestling being introduced to professional wrestling fans in the mid-1880s. And they weren't sumo matches, but they were falls and mixed style matches contested under sumo rules. I hadn't, before I started researching this latest book, I did not know that that occurred. I knew that... uh, Jacketed matches like judo and jiu-jitsu between wrestlers and martial artists had occurred, but I did not know sumo-style rules were applied in professional wrestling in the 1880s. So that will be the topic for the next episode. I don't really have any review. I did not watch WrestleMania uh, this year because I have no intention of watching anything that Vince is involved in. Um, I tapped out on AEW a long time ago, and I haven't watched any of the older stuff, but I have been reviewing the occasional match. I saw um, some old videos they have up on YouTube now of Jim Londis. I've written about them on the uh, blog. And if you want to check out any of those articles, you can just go to KenZermanJr.com, and you can look in the archive most of those are actually things I've written about over the last month or two. So those are right there on the, the front page. And if you want the show notes for this episode, you can always just go to Ken Jr. Com slash episode 21 and the show notes for this episode will be up. We may go back to reviewing something next week, but I really wanted to focus this uh, month's episode on the astounding career of Yusuf Ismail. So with that, I'll say goodbye, have a great month, take care everybody.